Hello, I'm David Marshall. Welcome to the Restless Education. I'm joined by Barry Cooper, Principal of the Global College, and Holly Thomas, Head of IT and Digital Innovation and a colleague of mine where I teach. I'm delighted to be talking to them about the hot topic of AI and education. Welcome, Barry. Welcome, Holly. Hello. I promise this is not a mojito. Okay, just so for those people who can't see, which is everybody, uh, Barry is drinking out of something which looks like a mojito, but isn't... Barry, you've had the flu recently, is that right? Yeah, uh, I, I live uh, and work in, in Spain. Uh, so I was down in Andalusia and um, the uh, unfortunately Spain is, is going through an a influenza B outbreak. Uh, it's a particularly nasty one. But I think, Holly, I think you had something similar as well. So we're all, all under the weather, but that's teaching. It's all good. <laughs> so we've all had illness recently and uh, hopefully we're all coming out the other side. We're here to talk about AI. This has been a long time coming for this podcast because... I would say, and you guys will know more than me, but we've sort of about a year on since peak AI hit the news with the release of apps like ChatGPT, and that created an immediate buzz uh, in obviously the world, but also the education world in our in our small corner of AI interest. There was this flurry of podcasts, articles, and interviews that were telling us how we could use AI in schools or how worrying it was or both. So we've held off discussing this um, despite the temptation to weigh in. We did run a podcast in 2023 on Reportal, which is a software that helps uh, to write reports for teachers. But other than that, we've kind of not really discussed it. But in the intervening time, we've been hearing anecdotally of loads of ways in which it's being used in schools, both by teachers and by students, and we're here to find out more. So I'm going to start off by asking an opening question, which I think perhaps either of you could answer if you feel comfortable. What are the different responses you've come across in your areas or fields to AI? Shall I do a quick a quick answer? And then, because I think yeah. Holly has so much more expertise than me. So I'm a, I'm a school principal. So for, for me, it's you know, jack of all trades. And the overarching response I've seen is one of fear, confusion, slight excitement, and then a shuffling of the, the tool into the back of the closet and hoping that it doesn't actually rear its head again. So we can continue doing what we've always done, which is a bit frustrating um, because you can see some of the really amazing advantages that you get from, from AI. And also it's not a case of you know, AI has just suddenly arrived and gone, hello, I'm here. But rather we've been using AI for, for years. You know, the, the different models we use for kind of analyzing uh, data, your, your online shopping, for example, is, is a great case in point. But within education, we do this all the time anyway. When we're looking at analysis, we're looking at you know, all these sorts of things. So that's that's my, my experience so far. I think overarching has been kind of fear and confusion. Yeah, I would tend to agree with Barry there. Um, I would say that depends really on the sort of aspect of education that you're in. So other educators in the field of technology have been very quick to adopt and on social media platforms that I'm part of, I've seen huge advances in the way that people are using it. Um, outside of the realm of teachers and tech, I would say there's like very a hesitancy, but there's definitely a lot of intrigue for sure. I'm yet to meet an educator who is completely opposed to it. I mean, after all, our job is to prepare our students for the future. So it's important that we as educators do not bury our heads in the sand. So yeah, a myriad of responses, mostly positive. I feel I feel that Ross, co-host on this podcast, was, was really anti-AI when we were chatting about it. I'm sure Ross won't mind me saying in the WhatsApp group. And then when he did the podcast on Reportal, he suddenly became a bit of a convert 
and was very passionately thinking, look, this can save us a lot of time. And this is a great device. So maybe Holly, starting with you, can you maybe sort of lay out some of the benefits of AI to the learners, to the pupils in the classroom? Yeah, absolutely. So I recently went on um, a bit of professional development and attended a course uh, run by IAPS, um, all around AI and digital leadership. And two of the people that were speaking there, one was Lex Lang from Caterham Prep and Matt Warren from RGS The Grange. And they talked about how teachers' time is a finite resource. And what we need to be doing is using AI to um, multiply the attention that we can give to pupils. They said it's not going to replace teachers or teaching assistants, but what it can do is replace the absence of people. And Lex gave an example of him being in a classroom and having three students come and asking him a question at the same time. And obviously we can't be in three places at the same time. So what he did, his approach was to give two of them ChatGPT um, to um, ask the question. And he then helped the other people once he was finished helping that other people, he came back to the other two and said, do you still need my help? To which they said no, because ChatGPT had answered the questions for them. He obviously then went and checked to see what the answers were and to see if they were correct and that they'd kind of guided it, that it had guided them in the right way. And it had. And so rather than the people sitting there and not having the answer, it meant that they were able to quickly get on with their task and they didn't have to wait. Um, and so I think that's a really important part of, or a really important benefit of AI for sure. And did he say anything about how this differentiates things for different pupils as well? Is that a, is that a possibility within that scenario that it's, it's also making distinctions for the different levels of pupils? Well, absolutely. I mean, there's something called prompt engineering, and I think AI is only as good as what you what you put in is what you get out. And so the certain types of questions that the pupils are asking, depending on the vocabulary they're, they're using and the depth of question that they're asking is what they're going to get back as well. So in a way, it kind of naturally does differentiate. Like in English, we sort of talk about English being quite self-differentiating when mm. it comes to sort of writing essays and things in a sense. Prompt, how, what was the term you used? Prompt engineering? Prompt engineering, yeah is is sort of self-differentiating in a sense you get out sort of what you put in mm -hmm. and I guess there's probably in the wider world of the workspace a lot of work going on to think about what that means and how you can sort of learn to be a better prompter there's I've some super articles out there so I I have lots of friends at a local university i.e who work with with my college and um they've done some great work and they they sent me a a collaboration, uh, sorry, not a collaboration, uh, just a, essentially a list of articles because there's loads of people doing work on this all the time. Um, and I think if people are interested in this sort of stuff and just getting out there and like, trying to understand how to play about with it, there's so many articles to give you a sense of how to kind of engineer your prompts and how to how to create new prompts or how to play about with also some of the new engines that are coming out because, you know, chat, you know, chat GTP, other engines are available. So it's there's so much out there that's then kind of on the back of this. So it's an environment worth exploring. And Barry, how do you use AI with your pupils if you're currently using it with them? Because yeah. your pupils no, are I a little did. bit older, aren't they? We, we yeah. teach in a primary set, setting. You teach in further now education I teach, almost. Yeah, so I teach a, an IB history class. So uh, for me, it's absolutely brilliant. What I tend to do with the students, so uh, first off, is I show them, uh, I did this a couple of days ago, and you can go on these different you know, applications online, you know, what do you look like as Barbie? What do you look like as a Viking, etc. So I, I did, what do you look like as a Viking? I got this great image back. I thought, I look amazing. 
So I showed them that and I said, there, I click one button and there's me as a Viking. You know, didn't have to do any work, you know, no time travel, you know, don't know, no, didn't need to learn how to use an axe, but there's a fantastic image. Can I just stop you there and say, did you have horns on your... Did you no, have a... there were no horns. No, no horns. so it was that's historically a, accurate. That's a Wagner, no... Wagnerian nonsense. That's not true, is it? There's no horns Never on... Never true, Because no, it, no. it would take quite a lot of sophisticated engineering to put horns on your helmet for like... Yeah, and why would you practical do that? Practical purpose. It's, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, it's definitely horns... Nothing no horns. Um, there was lots of snow and kind of moody looks. But the, the point behind it is it's it's something that's available at one click. And so and I tell them, well, look, is that me? And they all kind of giggle and say, no, not at all. Um, you're a tall, gangly school principal, not, not a Viking warlord, much to my dismay. Um, and so that's the starting point to say, look, actually, one click is not going to get you anything. But what it can do is start you down that journey or that process of uh, research Um Frameworking, uh, the use of questioning, for example. Um, so, yeah, teaching history, being able to use a, a chat bot or an AI as a person in the room who will keep coming up with ideas who you could be horribly mean to, just discard the ideas willy nilly until you get something that you really like. So, it's a it's a tool to be to be used um, that digs into the wealth of you know, the trillion or so different parameters that, that chat GTP has digs into that and then pulls out in a way that can be useful to you. But this is my big issue with AI is uh, there needs to be a level of critical thinking and an underlying understanding of the education of the, the topic of the methodology before you can start to do that sort of stuff. So you, you can't put the cup for the horse. You have to do a lot of pre-work and then get them kind of playing about with, with chatbots. So it's, it comes back to what we know from how we best learn, which is we need to have content and we need to have uh, systems of learning as well. It doesn't change the fundamental aspects of how children learn. No, I, I think we need... I mean, for, for our students, I mean, mine are obviously much older than, than yours. I think they need context. They need connection. So connection to kind of what it is they're studying. And, and then they need the ability to communicate, both receiving the communication with a critical critical kind of perspective, and then to be able to to use it going forward. The three Cs. And and that's something we talk about quite a lot at school, isn't it, Holly? And, and, and you've talked also about how it's important to teach children to use technology responsibly, particularly in a primary setting, but absolutely also in a secondary setting. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note that um, OpenAI's terms of use state that users need to be 13 years or older. And if you are 18, you need parent or guardian permission as well. That's important to consider. And so within our settings, pupils are not allowed to use it independently. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be making them aware of what it is and how to use it. That's still a really important factor. An element of modeling it as well, isn't, isn't there, in the sense that, well, I have a school AI account with ChatGPT and I will use that in various ways to show what it can do with writing, but also to a certain extent what it can't do with writing. Yeah, absolutely. Which I think is one of the most important things that we can do is give them real world examples of how it can be used and why it is good and why it isn't. And where those limitations lie do seem to, just from a English teacher perspective, do seem to be in the area of, uh, well, obviously experience because a computer can't have experience of the world and it can't have been to various places or had those kind of moments. Yeah, it doesn't have common sense. It's not alive it itself. And you can't trust everything that it says because its responses are not always accurate or up to date at all. These, these engines, they don't actually understand English. 
So large language models don't actually understand what you're asking and, and the, the, the response they give you is not something that they can actually comprehend. Could you explain that in layman's terms for a, a historian? Essentially, it's not AI is not a database, but it's a response that is based on patterns and relationships. So it has learned how to put together these things based on what humans have taught it. And so it looks for patterns and relationships and patterns to then form its ideas and answers. So the, the, the answer that structures my class on the First Crusade is, in fact, just a, it's a, a pattern that it's devised rather than, you know, knowing that the Declaration mm. of Claremont should come it's before. It's not a database, yeah. People's Crusade. Yeah, okay. That's a completely different way of thinking about it to what I was thinking it was as well. Yeah, and then obviously with that, the risks are that it's inevitable that bias is written into that because it's humans who are teaching it how to create those patterns. We are the ones who've told them what the pattern is and how to build the relationships as well. So doubling down on things like kind of issues of racism, sexism, misogyny, homophobia, does that just double down on in terms of the language that comes back from these these models? Uh, yeah, essentially it, it could. Right. Yeah. So what a, maybe this is a time to talk if we're taking that from an abstraction or a possibility to the classroom, what are the risks to our pupils? I mean, I do, when, when I've asked it to write an essay, for example, it's always funny um, because it's garbage. Teenagers are brilliant. They're beautiful. They're amazing. They do fantastic things. But you know what? Sometimes they can be lazy, as, as can we all. Um, and when they do say, OK, I'm going to try and just you know, use chat GTP here, um, it, it comes back and it's just it's absolutely tosh. Um, I think one of the the other issues is is exactly what what Holly was saying in in terms of of the the responses that we're getting from things like this. If you're using a Gen AI to produce something, is it is it is it feeding? Is there a bias that's naturally fed into it rather than it being something that can be seen you know, more more objectively? And I suppose the other thing as well is is Gen AI, and this is the whole kind of uh, rights issues. Is it is it taking from other people on the internet? Is it taking these different ideas and carving them up and putting them together and making something new, which actually isn't really new? It's just hacking up somebody else's work and repurposing it for you on your laptop. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I think, yeah, plagiarism is something that we need to talk to the children about. Interestingly, you, when you first spoke about over-reliance on the tool, Barry, I was having this discussion with pupils recently. And one of the children said that she was worried about pupils relying on AI way too much and she gave the example of a calculator and talked about how she understands that calculators have enabled us to calculate equations like incomprehensible for the human brain for example getting humans to space but there is that over tendency to reach for your calculator to calculate something such as 10 plus 22 when it could all be done mentally and she used the terms that she was worried that we will stop using our brains and that our species will begin to devolve which is coming from a young pupil um was an interesting thing but then obviously had recognized that with the use of calculators, it has completely enhanced the world as well. So the risks and the benefits are, yeah, what is more? It's a combination of human, human critical thinking and human knowledge combined with the use of technology to get us further than we could on our own. Mm. And that's where I guess we we have to keep teaching what we teach, which is thinking critically, which is learning, which is understanding the tech. But technology, I suppose, if I go back to what it means in Greek, it's is am I right? Technos means skill. Uh, I think is, I remember that. Schoolboy Greek is 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 somewhere in the back of my head. Yeah, I think so. Technos is just a skill. So you know, 
uh, being able to chop down a tree is a skill and the axe, I guess, is part of the technology that goes with it. So it's the human plus the technology, like the calculator that enables us to sort of jump further, but we still need all of that stuff and we still need all of that learning. We're not canceling schools anytime soon. Something that was discussed at the um, course that I went on as well, was that talking about the benefits of AI in terms of, is it better to have a pupil slog through their homework and not really get to the answer and then, or have ChatGPT provide them the answer? And that comes back to thinking about what do we want the core of learning to be? Do we value higher order thinking and critical analysis or do we want children to spend 90% of their time producing the work? Whereas AI can allow you to skip some of that. So I, I would argue that because I teach computing, Many of those skills, important skills are developed and applied through this production phase, but it kind of gives you the choice. If you don't, if that's not what you're focusing on, then you can give them more time to critically analyze something. That's, but that's super cool. Uh, that's, that comes back to what you were saying earlier about AI and being used to, to free up teacher time, mm. teacher assistant time. So it's, it, this is why I think we need to think about AI slightly differently in in how can we get it to free up student time you know i i hate busy work i hate sending students i i won't set kids essays i uh, i'll set them things to think about things to do they come to class and then we'll, we'll do tests so because they have to do that at the end anyway but it's it's something really kind of innate that we feel that we need to get them to produce something in order to show that there's something there when we need to, I think, maybe trust a little more, especially as our students get slightly older, that they're having those thoughts and they're working with them in the right way and also move away from the traditional ways of, of getting them to use these ideas because that's what it's really about, isn't it? It's if we can look up all of the facts that we need and we can go and find the, the, the poems that we want, it, it's then it's about, it's the thinking about the poem that actually we really have to do. And we can do that on paper, but we could do it in a video. We could do it in an interpreted dance. We could do it in a round table. We could do it on a discussion board. And this is why, you know, EdTech as a whole, I think is so amazing, especially with younger students who then start to get to use this and explore these ideas in, in ways that, you know, we knew because it was all pen, paper, don't turn it in. You're going to get a clip around the ear. And there's that um, Bjork, uh, not the singer, but uh, I think Robert Bjork, maybe the thinker, the educationist talks about desirable difficulties, which is that add on for the cognitive load theory. Um, if you give it too easy, you, they're not going to learn anything. So the, making that that sort of optimum level of challenge where it's, it's um, making them think is what a will actually help activate the, the, the memory. How do we keep that while also sort of removing some of the unnecessary difficulties well, is, we, is we, it not then about talking about culture is it not about saying right this is the culture we need to build in schools and, mm. and get people understanding the reason for education the reason that we're doing this and this is coming back to what great teachers usually are they're enthusiastic and they get kids liking being in the same room and coming up with new ideas and thinking about new ideas and exploring new ideas they're explorers that's what we do. We stick on a flashlight helmet and kind of we're down the, the the rabbit hole of of lunacy that leads us to you know you know heaven knows what. It's it's Inca gold. It's the poems of Benjamin Zephaniah. May you rest in peace. It's it's you know uh, it's um, kind of logic problems in computing class. It's that's that's what it is, isn't it? Definitely, and it, it's the heart of what we do. It's, no. it's nice having a lightsaber that kind of you know the AI kind of tool that can help you cut away some of the nonsense as well, though, isn't it? How else, how else can we use AI though, Holly? Because you're, I mean, you're, I'm sorry, I'm looking at you as the, the, the be all and end all of this, but I mean, how else do you think it's going to, it's going to work or how, how do you think it's going to develop in the next few years, especially for younger kids? 
Yeah, well, there's a, there's talk of for teachers um, in particular a virtual teaching assistant, and so whereby you can use AI to help you with many of the different tasks within your classroom. Um, you can use it to input data into, and then it will build worksheets or differentiated worksheets for your pupils, automated assessment, adaptive learning platforms. Yeah, there's so much that's going to go on and continuous professional development as well. It can kind of suggest what it thinks it can steer you in a direction that um, they think would, it would, thinks would help you as well. And there's some, there are some wackier elements of things that have emerged in the last year. So we have had in the UK an advert out for a AI head teacher. There's also been a head of AI adverts going in TES, which is where in the UK we put all of our teacher advertising. And to a certain extent, I, I feel they're there to maybe get media attention. They certainly did get media attention for some schools that want that. And maybe there are some other wacky things and ideas out there that you've heard of. Barry, if you come across anything a bit crazy. I get I get crazy on a daily basis. The um, I think an AI head teacher sounds positively disturbing but the i mean ahead of it's very like, demon headmaster oh, isn't it to go back yeah, to like a little a, bit yeah it's a, old, it's a bit older text cross between big brother the matrix and demon headmaster the um uh, i mean our head of computer science is actually an ai guy but he's an artificial intelligence kind of researcher by by training before he moved into teaching i think the the, the wacky stuff I don't really tend to get too much wacky stuff. It's more it's applications that I can't see the the use for because they're not fulfilling a pro they're not they're not helping kind of solve a problem. And I think as we kind of go forward with this in in schools, one of the key things I think we have to do is bring people on board and say, look, this is a new piece of tech. We think it's going to solve these problems, but we need to trial it and figure out if it actually does solve these problems, if it, this does help. And if it does, fantastic. Let's use it. Let's make this part of what we do. And if it doesn't, let's ditch it pretty quickly. It's that whole kind of, what do they say? Hire, hire slowly, fire quickly. I mean, with this, I think you need to kind of get hold of it quickly, understand whether or not it's actually solving your problems. And then if it's not, ditch it because there's there's so many different things on that on and i think a lot of people these days in schools i think they find most valuable having you know some sort of guide to take them through that which is why kind of working with with my david the head of computer science is great because you say actually yeah steer away from this this one's actually this could be quite good i think you're totally right it, it's very overwhelming i'd say at the minute because there are thousands of different tools that you could employ within your education and within education i think what it is important to do is to remember the context and apply it to the context of which you're oh, yeah. teaching and really really take that into account before adopting anything and we're slow to do this because we want to make the right choice and I think, though, at the same time, you don't want to be too restrictive for the teachers either. You don't want to constrain them. Um, you want them to feel excited by it or and you want to give them the space to experiment as well, so remembering the context of your school and not feeling like you have to run before you can walk either. As you said at the beginning of this podcast, AI has been around for a long time. It just really feels like now it's completely in our faces, but it's been it's been there for for a long time. First, for me, it feels like it just suddenly has appeared in the last year. But actually, as you're pointing out, no, it's 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 been around a while. What about this idea of we talked a little bit about it, um, uh, CPD? You mentioned that it could help to suggest what next to sort of focus on for teachers. How do we ensure that teachers or staff generally in schools stay in the loop on AI? How can we ensure we're, we're not falling behind? And Holly, this references what you said, which is ensuring that there's a you know, it's right for the context of the school, but also how can we ensure that we're not kind of going to be the last on board the train? 
Well, I think that comes down to hopefully you have a passionate person um, who is in the head of technology who is willing to give you that, that space and time to experiment and to explore while slowly encouraging you and showing you different things, different apps and different ways in which you can use it to keep them curious, for sure. Definitely. And Barry? Um, uh, what Holly said. Yeah. What Holly said, yes. Yeah. Keep, just have someone who's really passionate about it. Yeah, it's, it's, you, you, need a, you need a standard bearer, you need a, a, like a cheerleader, but it, and then you need kind of an SLT who are not you know, taken by innovationitis and want to throw new things at people every five seconds. You want a, a plan, you want someone who's an expert, say, right, this is what we need. These are, these are the problems we're facing. Here are the tools we think might work and then plan it out and actually work with the with the team you've got. Trust your teachers. It's, 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 the, it's the best way to get great results. And can I ask, so I'm going to throw this one out here. You may not have an answer to this one. I was wondering how you think different schools, different countries might develop differently on this because first of all, we're not starting on a level playing field. There's obviously the Global North, which has more resources, better access to the internet, more devices, and just generally better funded schools. There's the Global South, which is, you know, in some positions in a very dire state educationally. And then you've also got countries such as, for example, Estonia, which is very high up on the PISA table and is all online. It went online before the pandemic, which meant that it's done very well in terms of education. Can can we see a way in which different countries are going to kind of like you know, suddenly sort of become very successful at using this and therefore education, it's going to give them an advantage, whereas others don't. And just to throw one more thing in before I let you answer this ridiculously complex question, I was just thinking about regulation because I know the EU is bringing in AI regulation pretty much at the moment. Mm. I think it's more to actually speed things up and allow more use of it in the workspace. But I also wondered how different countries' regulations are going to then influence education. It's a huge question. <laughs> I think lots of different things factor into, will factor into the AI adoption in different countries, the cultural attitudes, the education philosophies, and the level of trust in AI systems. It's really hard to say how that will affect different countries. And I think there's disparity in education all around the world. Yeah, it's hard, It's quite hard to answer that question, I would say. I think, I think it's um, it will level the playing field in, in some ways, but only when there is an infrastructure in place that allows for students to access the internet properly, access with devices uh, and use those in, in a way that's going to that, that follows a, a pathway or a, a pattern or a, or a pedagogy that's actually going to be a, a benefit to them. So I think there's going to be there's there's a few interesting kind of bits and pieces like Estonia for example yeah uh, Moldova for example uh, these countries that have recently put in huge overlays of kind of fiber optics they have great bandwidth they have great internet speed but relatively relatively poor I mean Estonia is not a poor country as you then grow this kind of infrastructure into developing countries in in the south um, I think you'll find it gets faster and faster and I think you'll see innovation happen in the global south as as you referred to it so where uh, where's the big build up in need for education at the moment who has the biggest explosion of young people and that's places like indonesia has a, a demographic bonus uh, vietnam has a demographic bonus so you have huge groups of young people all clamoring for this kind of thing and they will i think push the agenda i think for education for connectivity for new new approaches to education i think where we will suffer and struggle is i think east africa parts of parts of West Africa. West Africa at the moment is there's some fantastic things happening, but it's not 
it's not wholesale and, and there are areas and, and countries that are um, perhaps falling behind and don't have the the infrastructure or the, the money, finance, will to take this forward. Wow, that, that was a really full answer. Thank you. That, that was more than I was even imagining. And um, can you just say in Madrid, in Spain, where you are now, what's the feeling? In terms of, of this now, Madrid has... Probably one of the better as, as a capital city it has great connectivity. There's a there's some good forward thinking that's happening in a lot of ind- independent schools in the state system uh, as well. There's a desire to move it forward. Southern Europe tends to be quite traditional in terms of its education. It will take some time to allow that to kind of push through, but I think eventually you'll see kind of adopting or oh, the adoption of new ideas, new tech, really really quickly. You know, Madrid. Yeah, for example, the Comunidad de Madrid, where I really pushed the idea of bilingual schools. They pushed the idea of language learning with with young people way, way before kind of other parts of Spain and, and Italy were doing it. There's an innovation here. There is an innovation in, in terms of education. Once they get to an idea, they will stick with it and they will see it through. And and Holly, New Zealand, I know you have not worked there for a few years, but what's your feeling? Is this something that is likely to be taken on board, uh, invested in? Imagine it's not something that I've looked into recently, but when I left six years ago, we were far more advanced within education and technology uh, than we are, I believe, in the UK. So not something I've looked into, but I can imagine that absolutely they'll be at, at the forefront, I would say. And especially as you've got sort of schools in some pretty far flung places, haven't you, which could, if you get the the internet access, it could really sort of benefit some communities and allow them to connect in different ways to sort of develop things. I'm just imagining here, I don't know if I'm right on that. Is that is yeah, that no, absolutely. I would say for sure. Yeah. There's some guys in Australia who were saying exactly the same thing, because yeah, the distances are just immense being able to give those children a fair education online i think it's 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 the that's what people are after that's the 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 golden goose but the problem is it's it's something that should be driven by government for children rather than driven by private enterprise for profit so that's that's what i believe i think we need to you know make sure that if you, you know people are banging the drum for this it's getting government to finance it, government to push it forward government to actually make this available to everyone That's a very good place to end on. Just before we finish, I'm going to ask you both if you could say what's one thing out of maybe all the things we've talked about, what's one thing that you're most excited about with AI? One thing I'm most excited about? I think think more goes on, you know, kind of you you as a Viking. In, In all seriousness, I think seeing Gen AI create the possibility to take time or give take time from teachers uh, that was in administration and allow us to give that back to students and do what teachers do best, which is form relationships and, and help young people. I think that for me is the most exciting part of this whole thing. Right. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And something else I would add is I just think that the creative element of AI is incredibly exciting and what it allows pupils to do in the imagination. It can let the imaginations run wild. And I think that's really, really exciting. And as well as what Barry said and taking away a lot of those administrative tasks and allowing us to get to the core of what we like, well, what we want to do and what we want to be as teachers, giving us back that time so that we can be the best educators possible. So creativity and innovation, it feels very exciting. And thank you so much for opening up this world of AI. It's not an area that I've known a lot about. Now I feel that I know a lot more and maybe that I'm perhaps a bit more confident going and kind of tinkering a little bit with it. Is that 
the right word, Holly, the tinkerings feels You got like it. it, my favorite word. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Barry Cooper. And thank you so much, Holly Thomas, for joining us. It's been a pleasure having you on The Rest is Education. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to The Rest is Education. I'm David Marshall talking about AI and education. Please come back and listen to our future episodes all to come.